Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Podcast like it. Podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from a hospitality suite here in 2020. <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Kenny Nabber. And I'm Felisco. I believe that's our first podcast. This is our first podcast of 2020. First that, one recorded. That we will not use the 2020 <laughs> intro. Um, Which everyone loves, obviously, by this point. Yeah, they love it. <laughs> if they've even heard it at this huge, point. Huge, huge. Um, it's, it's been memefied. Uh, Big Kahuna. This was a movie. Grand Kahuna. Yeah. Th- weirdly that... Yeah, anyway, that's a whole thing, too. Like, they don't ever call him the Big Kahuna. They call him the Grand Kahuna. It's so weird. Does anyone know about this movie? Anyone out there know what this movie <laughs> it's is? It's like, like that you're like tapping the mic. Guys, you know, someone, <laughs> uh, the, all right, the Big Kahuna. The Big Kahuna. It's a movie. Uh, this was also a little one of those like release date things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to read the synopsis because no one knows this fucking movie. Uh, three salesmen for a founding, uh, for, sorry, for a foundering industrial lubricant manufacturer hang out in their company's hospitality suite at a major convention waiting for the arrival of a prospective customer they have privately dubbed the Big Kahuna or the Grand Kahuna. They call him the Grand Kahuna only. They never call him the Big Kahuna. It's bizarre. Whose potential sales would turn the struggling company around. Phil, played by Danny DeVito, plays peacemaker between the cynical, argumentative huckster Larry, played by Kevin Spacey, and Bob, played by Peter Facinelli, the company's newest hire whose religious sanctimony irritates Larry. Big Kahuna premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival on September September 16th, 1999, and then opened in theaters in April of 2000, made $3.7 million worldwide on a $7 million budget. It's got 73% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and 71% from audiences. It's kind of a movie that doesn't really exist. Uh, it, it's, it's, 
it's a play. Just it's to, a you know. title that sticks in your head. Sure. For whatever reason, I've always known about Why? it. Why? Because the Pulp Fiction thing. That's what Big I Kahuna think. Burger. Big Kahuna Burger. Um, it also kind of came out in like the height of Kevin Spacey's. Absolutely. Am I the biggest actor in the world? Moment. Peak of his powers. This was this was him just like he kind of could do anything. I mean, this is if I'm not mistaken, this is around like fucking K packs and pay it forward time, right? Like he's just no. This is American Beauty time. No, I just mean like right after. I'm gonna look him up, but like I feel this, like this is a little different. Like all right, so Kevin Spacey. Totally look, yeah. Kevin Spacey sucks. We all know he sucks. Yeah, he's a monster. One of the worst humans yeah. maybe ever to live. And he keeps making these fucking videos at Christmas. Too. He's a weirdo, Ugh. and anyway. it does kind of. Uh, it absolutely does color. My, I have a lot to say about Kevin Spacey um, mm-hmm. that we'll get to. So put that aside for a sec. Kevin Spacey, total fucking monster. Yeah, yeah. Um, Danny Vito, total delight. Peter Petronelli, total uh, zero. Um, I wouldn't. I don't agree with that. But okay. He's a total five. Um, <laughs> Fair. But, <laughs> but the thing about Spacey that mm-hmm. um, I think that is, is relevant is Spacey is a theater actor at heart. Yes. Um, yes. He is a scenery chewing theater actor mm-hmm. who would do, you know, the Iceman Cometh and various Willie Loman, Willie Loman thing, and, and Willie Loman, and yeah, any base, any major American male character that's ever graced the theater that is, you know, had more than half of the lines in the play. Kevin yeah. Spacey. He'd be on Broadway right now in Network or To Kill a Mockingbird if he wasn't a monster. Without question. He would be going from one to the other. Mm -hmm. He'd be (laughs) matinees at Network and he would be doing nighttime performances at To Kill a Mockingbird. And people would be saying it's incredible Mm -hmm. because he is a uniquely talented actor. You can – the dialogue comes very, very easily to him. There is a a, – he understands the rhythm of theater – yeah. Which is, and he makes it palatable is the thing. Like it, it's, and we're, we're going to talk, we're going to do our top five plays into movies at the end of this episode. But, uh, that was the thing that kind of hit me almost immediately. It was like, this guy knows how to deliver this dialogue. And this dialogue in the wrong hands oh, yeah. would have been a disaster. Oh yeah. Like a huge, mm-hmm. massive disaster, mm-hmm. particularly Larry's dialogue. Yeah. Because Phil and Bob both talk like people, but Larry talks like a theater character he's he's more a theater he, salesman he's more up his that. own ass than yeah. a mammoth character he is the he is the most up his own ass character of all time and that would drive me completely nuts mm-hmm. if all the characters spoke like this correct but because phil and bob are grounded in the in the ways they weren't mm-hmm. the heightened nature of larry's character worked really well for me and you know spacey obviously did a really good job um so that's it the the the, the point of this little monologue was that I think it was important for Spacey mm-hmm. when he achieved the ability to choose his own projects yeah. to adapt some plays. Yeah, it's it's it. I, I <clears throat> the only thing that I really remember about this movie, um, living in Toronto at the time, you know, TIFF is obviously a very very big deal, and when you when you uh, when you live there, they do the press conferences on television, which I loved, which is that basically on, I don't know which channel it was, but they would, they would show them. It's and I remember much movies. It was not. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> um, but, uh, and I remember watching a, a fragment of the press conference of this movie and 
and really hearing Kevin Spacey. This is again, like he's starting to flex his producerial muscles, mm-hmm. which again, we will see down the road. I mean, he produces, uh, House of Cards. He produces social network. He produces a bunch of stuff deeper in his career, but this is him sort of to your point, starting to kind of see what he can quote unquote get away with. And, and I think that that's at least professionally and it seems personally as well. Uh, three so, guys in a room is, yeah. is not an easy thing to get away with. Thing, no, I think it's $7 million. Dollars, yep. You know, so, and, and just to, to, to full back on what I was saying, pay it forward is in 2000, KPAX is in 2001, shipping news 2001. This is when Hollywood is trying to see like, he's a leading man, but like he's not an, you know, a, a conventional leading man. They don't really know what to do with him. Um, but, you know, he's, he still makes a lot of very big movies and then he's, you know, fucking Lex Luthor. Yeah. His, his, his career is, is weird. Now, it's weird. He's a weird also, dude. The year before he made Hurley Burley, which Correct. is also, also a play, a play. Mm-hmm. which is so, not the theater. Yeah. There was this like, all right, so I like Hurley he Burley. made some of the great movies ever. Like he made seven. You can start with, I mean, usual suspects, usual suspects is really where you'd start unless you want to say swimming with sharks, which I think is a great movie too. Yeah. yeah. Um, the ref. He made the ref too, yeah. But yeah, yeah. ref he was, you know, straight man. Swimming yeah. with sharks, it was really kind of the first. And he was in Glengarry Glen Ross. And he was a lot yeah. of shit, like L.A. Law. Like this sure. guy, he's a good character actor. And it's then not he, like yeah. he started working with mm-hmm. with uh, usual, usual Suspects, but Usual Suspects, Outbreak, which I love. Mm-hmm. Seven. Oh, spoiler alert. Um, what? That he's in Seven. Oh, ah. you know, well, you know, yeah, he wasn't no, even yeah. on the post. John Doe. Yeah. Um, LA Confidential, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, which is a very strong role for him. Yeah, it's a weird movie. I don't but hate that movie. It makes a lot weird. of sense. Yeah. Like when you're talking about what do we do with Kevin Spacey, totally. that's a perfect mm-hmm. what you do with Kevin Spacey. The Negotiator, which I thought really worked mm-hmm. weirdly, mm-hmm. um, kind of proving that he can do things that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Sure. That's a very alpha performance. And he's mostly played betas. I mean, you know, John Doe is John Doe, but mm-hmm. American Beauty, which is sure. American Beauty. Um, Which is, it should be said that American Beauty is a little bit outside the box casting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's not what you would expect. I think by then. So, you know. Kevin Spacey was such a movie star that you would have seen him do anything. He was in the Tom Hanks zone. Like, he was. People forget this. Like, he was in the Tom Hanks zone where, like. But he's not like. And I, I say this not to be in any way. I mean, I'm whatever. I, he's not conventionally masculine. He's not a conventional sort of male actor, and I think that that's why he never fully becomes Tom Hanks. He never could have become Tom Hanks. Yeah. He was doing a different thing. Yeah. I mean, he came up as verbal Kent and John Joe. Sure, like sure, the sure. guy is, the guy has like villain written all over him. He does. I mean, this he movie does. too, in, yeah. in Big Kahuna, but. Something happened where, you know, like I think a movie like Hapex or even a movie like um, Pay, Pay, Pay It Forward is an example. What, what was the movie where he played the uh, the Death Row guy? Or, oh, uh, David Gale? Yeah. Like, Life where, of David Gale. Life of David, where people started to say like underneath this wormy, buscemious exterior, <laughs> yeah, yeah. there is a really like sweet yes. alien. There's a soulful quality to him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he would do the Saturday Night Lives and he would do Jack Lemmon and he would do Christopher Walken. And I think mm-hmm. people really, truly loved him I for agree. a long time. I agree. Um, up to the point that they were willing to fucking go to House of Cards with him, which is a terrible show that no one should watch. So <laughs> Wow. You heard it here. It is a terrible Shots show. Fired. You don't think it's a good show, do you? I don't know. I don't know that it's a terrible show. I, there's there's some stuff in it that I don't hate. Who's at Margin Call? That's a great movie. 
It is a good movie. He probably think he produced that. He's too. done so. Uh, he's. I mean, he's listen. So many good in, until unfortunately, uh, well, not until uh, he was a monster, and then everyone found out he was a monster, and mm-hmm. now he should go away and he should be in jail, and that's what that is. But the Big Kahuna uh, is um, a much more interesting film than I was expecting it to be. Uh, in terms of some of the themes and some of the things that it's talking about. I'm going to read a quick bit of uh, Ebert's review. Uh, There are two religions in America, one spiritual, one secular. The first worships in churches, the second at business conventions. Clergy of both religions wear dark suits and ties or Roman collars. They exchange a lot of business cards. The Big Kahuna is about an uneasy confrontation between these two systems of faith. The film mostly takes place within one hotel room. Yes, it's based on a play. I like that. I like the fact that it's mostly dialogue between three people on one set. That is the way to tell this story. Why does every filmed play trigger movie critics into a ritual discussion of whether or how or if the play has been quote unquote opened up? Who cares? What difference would it make if the movie sets some scenes in a coffee shop or others in the park across the street? The story is about these three guys and why they say and what they say to each other. Keeping it in one room underlies their isolation. They are in the inner sanctum of their religion. The movie directed by John Swanback and written by Roger Ruff is sharp-edged, perfectly timed, funny, and thoughtful. Spacey and DeVito are two of the smartest actors in movies filled with joy of performance. They exchange their dialogue with the precision of racquetball players, each volley redefining the game. They talk about business strategies, sales, goals, the cutthroat world of industrial lubricants, the mystical power of the big kahuna to transform their lives. For the most part, I agree with that. Oh, that was a really good review. Um, I, I, I will, I'm going to push back just slightly. Um, and Kenny and I sort of talked about this a little earlier before we were on mic about adaptation of plays to movies and that that can be a tricky thing to navigate. Um, they can feel flat. They can feel like someone just propped a camera in a play and filmed it. Um, and that's a little bit of my beef with this movie sometimes. I don't say that across the board, but I do think that there's times where I did feel like I was trapped in a room with three guys. And that's the play and that's the that's the intent of, of this thing. Um, but sometimes I found my – I just found that I didn't hold my attention as much as I would like. But when it did, which is I would say probably 70% of the time – it's really powerful shit, especially in the third act. The third act of this thing is is unbelievable. I agree with that completely. I, I, it does lose me a little bit in the middle. Yeah. Um, I really like the first act, too. Yeah. I, I really thought these characters are really well drawn. Um, George like Danny DeVito's amazing in this. Danny's just so natural. He doesn't generally play people this melancholy, this sort of introspective. Mm-hmm. It's it's First of all, it's, it's a very existential play i mean it's really about sort of like sort of you know contemplating your existence in this world and what does it all mean which is not what i thought this was going to be about i didn't think it was going to be about religion versus commerce mm-hmm. um and how those two things intersect um but god danny devito just like heartbreaking in this movie so what i like about yeah this movie and quote unquote filmed plays mm-hmm. is what a de- I like that it's a departure from cinema, if that makes sense. Sure. Like there's the old show, don't tell. Well, you can't really do that in a play very right. often, mm-hmm. right? You can, yeah. but you still have to have, you know, there are practical concerns. There are, there are, there are sets that need to be moved or changed Correct. or reimagined. <laughs> Costumes that have to be changed. People have to be moved in and out. Lighting moves. You just don't have the time to do that. So there, Necessarily, if you watch a Eugene O'Neill play or something like that, mm-hmm. like Long Day's Journey into Night, um, they're telling you a lot. Sure. And it, it, to some extent, it does make for 
I, I often am left a little cold by plays because uh, I find most of them to be very surface. Yeah. Um, not a lot of subtext because you, because, because what you're mining are the characters like deepest emotions, deepest mm-hmm. fears, desires, the relationships come to the surface. They're talking about things that they wouldn't necessarily talk about. Like subtext doesn't exist to the same degree. People are, so I would say people might talk about these things. Right. But you are taught as a screenwriter Not to, to talk around people. these yes, things, yes, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. You're you're taught to totally. you're taught to be to to be subtle, mm-hmm. to not speak your t- subtext, to not speak your emotions, to show your emotions, yeah. put characters in situations that test their resolve, that te- yeah. that undermine their 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 character traits and um, give them layers. And uh, what a good play generally does is excavate these layers in front of your eyes. So I think this did a good job in that sense. I think I know, fully agree with that. Most plays, most plays like this generally do end with some kind of physical confrontation. Well, there's also something, and, and this, <laughs> this is sort of to piggyback on what you're talking about, this idea that like you actually in plays probably see more defined character arcs and evolution of a character. You really do feel like you start at A, you get to B, and you really see this character go through the gamut of emotions, mm-hmm. which – perhaps in movies or television it's a little more subtle so it's it's more defined so seeing what larry and phil and bob go through you really feel like you've been on this emotional journey with them and you've seen these characters evolve and change which can be a very sort of you know uh, an enlightening and interesting experience depending on the characters and i think in this one i did feel that um you know there were times when uh, you know again Plays can be heavy-handed sometimes, and and some of this, you know, wasn't always as deftly done. Part of it too is that, like, and I, with no offense to this director, but the director doesn't go on to do anything else. He's he had done a handful of short films prior to this, so it's it, it's flatly directed. And so. these are reasons why I'm not really giving it that great yeah. of a number at yeah. the end. Like I, it, but it's better than I expected. Yeah, it, it doesn't make me. It, it doesn't like make me sing. Yeah, but it it there is something here now, like oh. To me, a really good play like this, really good essentially one location play, mm-hmm. should feel like one of the most important days in these characters' lives. Yep. You know, like a mo- like like a fulcrum point. Yeah. And I think it was for all these characters. Yeah. yeah same with like a Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Same yeah. with Long Day's Journey Tonight. Same with um, almost any play I love. I mean, one of my favorite plays ever is Art, which is mm-hmm. a funny play, but also like defines the th- – friendship between these three men in a way that uh they will never kind of the things that are said in that play that can't be unsaid correct um and they'll never really be able to go back to the way they were and i i I think that's true to some extent here now like i don't know how much this really um interrogates the it interrogates the relationship between uh religion and business I don't see that. I see a character who says I'm religious, I'm religious, and another character who says I'm all, you know, it, it, the, the money matters, the money matters. Like, I don't, I do think that, um, I agree. And also, I'll just, I'll just say that I think that Danny DeVito's speech at the end of the film to Bob about character, yes, great. is unbelievable. Great. And that sort of gets to the meat of it a little bit. 
but yes, this movie is more interested in the the conflict of those two things than it is really about sort of exp- really unpacking you know those two ideas. But but the speech he gives at the end, I mean, we'll jump around. There's not much of a story really, but he basically he he essentially at the end of the film confronts Phil, played by Danny DeVito, confronts Bob, played by Peter Facinelli, to say like you're you don't realize it, but when you steer a conversation towards religion, you're now pitching. You're just pitching God. Mm-hmm. You're pitching the idea of religion. Um, it's no different than pitching lubricants. That's that in in essence is the play. That's what it's really saying. Which is that um, if you really care about people and you want to hear what they have to say about their lives, then ask them about their kids, ask them about their family, mm-hmm. ask them about who they are as a person. Don't try to steer the conversation in one direction or another to convince them of something because then you're selling something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's I think that's a really 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 beautiful, interesting sentiment um, that makes. The whole thing worthwhile. If, I, if you I ask like me. to think that's what we do on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, I, I I'm not kidding. I know, I know you're not. But I, I mean, I, 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 it's funny you said it because I was thinking about this this conversation that we're having as that sort of moment happened in the movie, and and how I don't necessarily try to convince you of anything when we have uh, when we do this. I thought like, that's what this podcast was going to be, and it's not. It's just it's, like I, I talk and you talk, and I I really do everything in my power to listen to everything you're saying. And, you know, I don't get the impression that if we don't agree that either of us feel that, that, that it's contentious, but I do think that, um, that it's a conversation. And I guess, I guess that's sort of what, what the, this movie and hopefully this podcast is supposed to be about, which is just talking like two people talking, having a conversation, volleying ideas back and forth. And hopefully the people that listen to it enjoy it, and it's it's not about convincing one way or the other. But uh, that's Bob's problem: is that Bob wants to convince people of something, and mm-hmm. th- that he feels well, it's Larry's that, problem too, right? And it's Larry's problem. But Larry wants the money, whereas Bob wants honesty and good, and feels as though if he can commit, if he can indoctrinate people into Jesus, that somehow yeah. he's a better person. He's doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's, there's a tremendous line in that, uh, in that speech where he says, you've already done plenty of things to regret. You just don't know what they are. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the crux of the speech for me was this idea of you regret. have no character because you don't regret anything. Yeah. And then he says the line you just said. And then he says, and he sort of expounds later. I'm obviously paraphrasing, but he basically says, you know, uh, it's when you realize these mistakes you've made and these regrets that you have, and you carry them with you. That's what gives you character. That's what makes you a human being. Is is living with. Let's the talk things. about regret a little. Sure. Because we will in Magnolia as well. A lot of regret in that movie. Yeah. Well, regret's an interesting kind of uh, concept. Concept and emotion in that. I think you're taught, or I think taught isn't the right word. I think you're compelled uh, when you get into your own mental health issues to not regret anything, to accept what has happened, right? Sure. Your life is your, your, sure. your life, is yeah. your life, your past is the past. You can't change the past. Yeah. It doesn't help you to look back on the past with regret. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, to some extent, the happiest people are the people who live without regrets ignorance is bliss i also find them to be the most detestable people <laughs> and i i okay no i just like i don't 
I, 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 like those two, those two notions are, are, are conflicting in my mind because on one hand, yes, I intellectually understand that regret is an unhelpful emotion. Yeah. On the other hand, I completely agree with what Phil, the character says, mm-hmm. which is that's where character comes from. Absolutely. You know, you, you make mistakes. Yeah. You learn from those mistakes. And you carry those mistakes with you. you carry those mistakes with you. You change or don't change. Yeah. But that is what life is. Sure. I mean, it's, there's, there's, you know, I, I mentioned Magnolia, but there's that tremendous speech that uh, Jason Robarbs gives mm-hmm. where he's, you know, he's dying of cancer. He's lying in his bed and he's like, I have regrets. Like I, I you know, he's, he's dying and he's looking back on his life and he knows that he's made terrible mis- mistakes. He's cheated on his wife. He's done any number of terrible things. Um, and I think to be human is to acknowledge those things. I think if you don't, you're sort of deluding yourself into making more of them. Like, I, I don't think it's to, to sort of tie it to religion a little bit. Like the whole Hail Mary's thing to me is just like, it's just an excuse to go do more of them. Like I just, you know, I, I've never really understood that idea of like confessing your sins and then saying, it's okay. It's and okay. You're absolved, of your and sins. You're absolved, absolved of them. You're never really learning from the mistakes. You're not, you know, and, and I don't, so I, I don't know. It, it, it's it's interesting, and I think it's important to acknowledge the mistakes you've made and to be able to live with those mistakes. And and it might be hard, but that's like that's fucking life. Yeah, I generally think um, religious characters written by and I don't know what what's the name Roger Ro- Ruff. Roger Ruff. I, I don't know his religious inclination. I, I don't either. My guess is he's not a very religious person. Yeah, this doesn't seem like a I, it's an indictment of religion. And I tend to think that religious characters written by non-religious people um are and I, I think Fatchinelli's character falls in this, are a bit of character are a bit of a caricature. Yeah. And without understanding or appreciating why a person might be that way or feel that way. Um yes. and I think that that's maybe I've just changed to some extent, but I, I think that's an old fashioned kind of eight nineties, two thousands idea mm-hmm. that religion is for the stupid. Um, yeah, I, I can't disagree with that. Like, I think that – what am I trying to say? I, I'm not a religious person, mm-hmm. but um, I think it's really lame to shit on religious people. <laughs> well, it's also I, – I think it's – yeah, I, I agree with you. I, it's also lazy. Um, lazy. I, it's, 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 it's boring. It's, it's boring and it feels it feels a little obvious. I'll, I'll say that it never fully gets to that place for me with the Facinelli character in this. Um, I, 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 but I do agree with you that I, that I felt like – he was a little bit of a, a a bit of a stuffed shirt, like a bit of a, mm-hmm. a, a straw man that they were using to tell a story. Remember Sarah Paulson's character in Studio Sixty? I do. Supposed to be Kristen Chenoweth. Yeah. Um, was Kristen Chenoweth. was Kristen Chenoweth? <laughs> this idea of this. I thought that was an interesting way of doing it. I don't know that it was entirely successful, or that anything in Studio Sixty was entirely successful. Mm-hmm. But I did like the idea of. Um, Someone in Hollywood, an actor of prominence, grappling with their religion and existing in a, I mean, pretty agnostic universe, um, if not, you know, anti-religious universe, mm-hmm. I think is interesting. I think it's, I mean, I don't think they did it successfully, yeah. but I, I, I don't either, but I'm just, I think it's an interesting concept. It's an interesting concept. I mean, you know, the, the funny thing is now we're doing this right after uh, the Golden Globes mm. and- <laughs> that 
You watched it, right? Oh, I watched that it. That Ricky Gervais thing at the end mm-hmm. of his monologue about Apple, Amazon. Uh-huh. Um, and if there was an ISIS network, and, you'd all be calling your yes. agents? What did you think of that? I mean, listen, I, I, I have my issues with Ricky Gervais, um, and, and, I, and I'm not particularly the biggest fan of where his career has kind of gone post mm-hmm. The Office. Um, Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I mean, listen, he he made some, I, I don't want to say valid points because that doesn't feel necessarily right. But, um, you know... He said some shit that that hits home a little bit. I I think that's that's what I would say. He said some that that kind of hit home yeah. a little bit. Yeah, and I I don't know. I think people are a little uncomfortable with that. I, I don't. I mean that joke in particular is. I mean that's a that is a a damning statement. Uh, you know, and he did it a bunch of times, which was kind of the he was. I guess if there was a theme of his of his bullshit hosting, it was sort of like. You did it, not me. I'm just fucking calling it out. Like, that was kind of his thing. Yeah. Which, I mean, okay. It, it, the whole thing is disingenuous as shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. of course, you know, it's disingenuous and it's uncomfortable and it's lazy and it, it, it annoys me to some extent. Sure. Um, and the, the kind of conclusion being like, don't be political because you're not ones to talk. Which I think is uh, that's bullshit. Like sure, sure, sure. that's unfair. Of course Let's, it is. That's it. Can no one talk? Like should there be should there be no political statements? But like that in particular, like yeah, a bunch of these companies are using you know borderline slave labor. Um, I mean, there's yes, I, I'll say this. Uh, he definitely um, part of my issue with his bit, and it seems to be kind of his bit of late anyway, is the, uh, everyone's a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one should say anything, I guess. Like I, to, to my, it's like, I don't even know what his end game is. It's just sort of like, it's a, it's, it's this kind of ax to grind bit of like, you're all full of shit and I'm full of shit. And we should all just acknowledge that we're full but of at shit. At least I acknowledge I'm full of shit. I, it's like, cool. Great. I don't know. It's a very new white guy thing. Yeah. It's like, but so wait, do you know the the writer um, Demi? Yeah, I should say this right. Ad, uh, Adju Yigbek. Sure, he has been a, he's been a guest on Blank Check. He has not been a guest on this show, but he's been a guest on Blank Check. He's a couple good times. place writer. Yeah, uh, I really enjoy this tweet he had. Giving mm-hmm. credit to Ricky Gervais for taking down Hollywood is like saying a Boardwalk character artist absolutely destroyed someone 
who framed and hung the picture in their living room. And the artist is their brother who does this every year for their birthday. <laughs> Embarrassing. <laughs> so like yeah, yeah, yeah. the whole point of this Ricky Gervais thing yeah. is we kind of want to hear it. You know, like we keep bringing him back. We keep, we kind of. Yes. Want- we like, he liked that he takes down, you know, these sacred cows. We, we appreciate that. It, 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 the, now the fact that he went and said it. It's not like anyone's going to stop. It's not like he's going to stop. It's not like he wouldn't wouldn't do a show for Apple or Amazon. Well, this this is part of the hypocrisy that is Ricky Gervais, which I think is the frustrating part of all of this. Which is there's this like there's this like thumbing people in the eye, but then also cashing their checks. And it's 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 a little bit of like you're very rich, and congratulations that you have this you know access to people and 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 carefree attitude about everything so you're willing to kind of shit on everything um and and it's not as though there isn't an enjoyment that we get out of how few fucks he seems to give um but i also just like i mean what that whole telecast was two and a half hours if i don't see ricky gervais for four more years i'm fine like i don't i don't i don't need ricky gervais in my life but the weird part is that he did have a period where i really kind of enjoyed him post office where he was doing like that animated show was, on on HBO and, and on The Office, he was he incredible. He was great. I liked extras. I, you know what I mean? Like I, he did a bunch of stuff that that kind of bottled that that energy, that angry energy um, towards Hollywood, towards all of it, and used it kind of for good and 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 made really sort of solid jokes and enjoyed it. People liked taking the piss out of themselves on extras. It was all kind of fun, and now. It's just it's it's I don't know it's not fun anymore to me it's it's lost its fun. It's very cynical. It's very cynical. It's very cynical. Like it's hard to look at you know Michelle Williams or Patricia Arquette and say what the the kind of things they said are anything other than sincere, absolutely from the heart, honest attempts to move the conversation sure. in a more progressive direction. Um, Same with uh, with Kate McKinnon's whole thing and and Ellen and like it, it, there was a lot of like listen, we work in Hollywood, we understand that we're bleeding heart liberals and and that's just part of you know what this is, but that shouldn't take anything away from the the power and the honesty and the heartfelt nature of these speeches and of these people, mm-hmm. and that's what sucks is that it feels like Ricky Gervais is trying to sort of ruin that on some level and take that take take any sort of honesty and genuine qualities away from these things because fuck it all, you know, like, yeah, I, I think there's this idea that's a real bad idea that it doesn't change anything. Correct. Right. That correct. Patricia Arquette saying what she said or Michelle Williams, sure. or everyone talking about the Australian fires or the plant-based meal, like, all right, you said some shit on a telecast. Um, big fucking deal. I disagree with that. I think Kate McKinnon's point is that it does change things. It does change things. Little things change things. Little things become big things. All this stuff does matter. The dialogue matters. Even one person raising their hand becomes five people raising their hand becomes a thousand people raising their hands. Like it's not – not to sound trite but like if one kid sees the telecast and decides that it's that that they're going to come out or that they're going to whatever it is that they can that, do that this. they can do this and it gives them the power and the fortitude to change their life for good i mean jesus it's absolutely fucking lutely worth it and it drives me crazy that ricky well, says it's not yeah like i mean even you know i know six years ago i think golden globes gave their best comedy to transparent correct 
And it was the first show, I think, that ever had a transgender lead. Um, not a transgender character, but a trans, but a, I mean, a transgender character, not a transgender performer. But now we certainly haven't solved the problem, but we've made massive steps in six years. And if, if you don't think transparent and also the Golden Globes awarding transparent Mm -hmm. their, their, Mm -hmm. their best comedy, uh, award had a big part of that. I don't think we live in the same world. I know. Well, but I mean, in reality, we're not. And that that's that becomes brutally apparent every time he hosts these things, which is that he just continues to recede deeper and deeper into this, you know, this cynical bubble that he's in. Um, and, and listen, that's his prerogative. Um, but, you know, it's like, I don't know. So it, it, it's a bummer. Uh, he kind of sucks. But, um, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um so in terms of the the plot of the Big Kahuna, there's really isn't really much of one, which is that the guys are in this room. They're waiting for the Big Kahuna. They're trying to talk to him. Uh, Bob gets an opportunity to talk to him. Um, and uh, rather than selling him on lubricants, he sells uh, the Big Kahuna on God and Jesus and religion. And when Bob uh, relays this information to Larry and Phil, Larry kind of flies off the handle and says, like, what's the fucking point? Why are you here? Why are we doing this? Um you know, uh, it's it's a it's an interesting moment. It's it's certainly sort of the the, the climax of of the piece is this fight between the two of them, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I, I, my feeling. I don't know how you felt about it, but ultimately, you just I sided with Phil in this in this whole situation, which is that you know Larry's on oh, one far end of the spectrum, couple Phil siding with yeah, each other. Yeah, that's how it is. And then you've got fucking Bob on the far end of the other side of the spectrum. And, and it's just sort of, it, they collide, they have this argument and then Phil kind of deals with the pieces at the end of it. You're often the Phil of this podcast. You're always, always the, the Phil, Phil of this, this podcast. podcast. Yeah. But you're often the Phil of this podcast. I, I am often the, the person, I don't know the who, mediator. I don't know if I'm probably the Larry, but <laughs> and we get some Bob on here. We get some here. Bobs on yeah, here. We do get some Bobs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I certainly didn't side with Larry cause he's an asshole. Uh, and I didn't side with Bob because he's a dummy. Um, Larry at least kind of eats crow a little bit at the end of their conversation. Says, "I'm sorry, I was trying to be a dad in this situation. I was trying to be, I was trying to steer you into a direction that might perhaps be mm-hmm. more f- fortuitous." Uh, and you know, they sort of exchange a smile at the end of it. But uh, at the end of the at the end of the movie, before uh, Baz Luhrmann's song plays, which we yo, can talk about in a second, yo, <laughs> yo, that was a lot. That was a lot. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, listen, it's not a particularly plotty movie. It's a play. So, you know, it's, it's, it's what it is, but, uh, but I enjoyed it. Um, I'm glad we, I'm glad we, I don't know how to explain, like, obviously I'm glad that we covered it, but I'm sort of glad that, uh, I'm glad that I watched it. That's how I feel. I'm glad I watched it. And, and I'm happy that the end was as powerful as it was because it made the preceding hour or so worthwhile. Not to say that it was, you know, that I hated it, but you know, the end was was really good. Um, so let's talk about this fucking song. Talk about the song. Everyone knows the song, right? Every everybody's free to wear sunscreen. Everyone of a certain age knows this song. It was. It's bizarre. It, it continues to be bizarre that it was a hit. Yeah. For a second. Uh, so Baz Luhrmann um, took a uh, uh, an essay that was read by Mary. Written by. Written by. Sorry. Uh, Mary Schmitch, maybe that's how you say it. I'm Schmitch, not sure. Schmitch. Um, uh, which was 
given as a commencement or, or sorry, a graduation speech by somebody else. Yeah, it was re- all right. So it was a. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have some details on, but yeah, it's it was a it was um, it was an op-ed essentially. Right. And it was in the Chicago Tribune. Right. And it was a hypothetical commencement speech that I do think was actually given by someone right. at some point. I believe it was in 1997. 1997. And, and then, and then Baz Luhrmann put it on an album he had, which was called Something for Everybody. Yep. Which Baz Luhrmann had an album, which was, he doesn't actually like sing or do anything on said album. He, it's really more of like Baz Luhrmann's mixtape to the world. And this was a single that came out in 99, by the way. Yep. And was like everywhere. It was basically this commencement speech, or sorry, this graduation speech, or this pseudo put to a beat. Mm-hmm. A kind of mobius A kind of mobius beat. Uh, this song was released several times. There was the original mix, which was on Baz's album. There was a 99 single. Then there was a Geographics Factor 15 plus mix. Then there was a 2007 mix, which was put on the 10th anniversary edition of William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet soundtrack, on which the opening words are changed to, ladies and gentlemen, of the class of 2007. I, I can't really explain it, but I'll also say this. I kind of love the essay. Like the words in the actual essay, I kind of love. Put to a Moby beat playing over the end of this movie does not work. Put to a Moby beat playing over the end of this movie is really weird. <laughs> it's so weird. And it's really heavy handed and yeah, it's, it's exhausting it's and I hate it. <laughs> but I don't hate the sentiment of yes, this. That's my, that's my thing. Point. That's my point. And it's, I, I, I mean, I, I guess I could read a little bit of it. Please. Um, so basically, you read the opening. Yeah, ladies okay. and gentlemen of the class of two thousand or the class of ninety seven or ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. In the case of the song, wear sunscreen. If I could only offer you one tip for the future, sunscreen would be it. Which, by the way, he it's not a bad. About. It's not a bad. Now. A long term benefit. The the long term benefits of sunscreen have been proved by scientists. Whereas the rest of my advice has no base has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience. I will dispense this advice now. All right, so then it's a bunch of advice. That's pretty good. Enjoy and the, the power, advice is good. The advice is the power of beauty of youth. You'll never understand the power of beauty and youth, but trust me, <laughs> until they faded, but trust me, 20 years, which would be now for me, yep. you'll look back at photos of yourself and recall. That's bullshit. I look better now. Photos of yourself and recall in a way, in a way you can't grasp now how much possibility lay before you and how fabulous you really looked. You were not as fat as you imagined. That, that I probably agree with. Appreciate that one. Yeah. Don't worry about the future or worry, but know that worrying is as effective as trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubblegum. That's true. The real troubles in your life are apt to be things that never crossed your worried mind. The Mm -hmm. kind that blindsight you at 4 p.m. on some idle Tuesday. Do one thing every day that scares you. That's a good one. That's a good piece of advice. Um, Don't be reckless with other people's hearts. Don't put up with people who are reckless with yours. That's a good one. That's a great piece of advice. Floss. Yep. That's also I floss every day. That's on the sunscreen tip. That's actually a good one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the sunscreen tip. So there are a bunch of good ones. You, you I can, mean, I, you can you, read you can it. It's it. fucking seven minutes I also long. really like the, um, you may get married. You might not. You may have kids. You might, you might not. not. Uh, you know. Maybe you'll divorce at 40. Maybe you'll divorce at 40. You'll, 
Maybe. <laughs> Maybe you'll dance the funky chicken on your 70, yep. 75th wedding anniversary. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it, listen, I appreciate the sentiment. There's some really great tips in it. I remember when the song, I remember the music video for the song that played. I mean, it had a moment. It was, it reached number 24 on the Billboard Hot 100 airplay in the United States. Like, this was a song for a beat that everyone was like, huh. Maybe I should wear sunscreen. Yeah. And then they didn't. Um, I think they do. I think people do wear sunscreen. Do you wear sunscreen? (laughs) I I do now. I'm just saying like in 99, do you think that people were like, you're right. Oh, I never wore sunscreen until like the last couple of years. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a weird thing. It's, it's weird that it plays at the end of this movie. Yeah. Um, It's it's a weird song. It's very 99. Yeah, it is. Uh, Because nothing about this play is 1999. This this movie, this movie feels like it's 1972. (laughs) Like it's got that, like, it's got that flat lighting and the one scene and and no money. It's, It's rough. And the, outfits um yeah, yeah I, I think the first thing i wrote about this movie on my little notes was some um some movies look like they were made last year sometimes looks like some look like they were made 35 years ago this is the latter correct so this really does look like it, it's yeah. very old uh do you want to rate this yeah so i gave it a 72 yeah um i'm kind of holding it a 72 as well like i i'm sort of i liked it uh i really liked the last half hour um I would recommend people to watch it if they're interested in watching a play. Um, and, and you know, uh, Danny DeVito puts in a tremendous performance. Kevin Spacey is kind of just being Kevin Spacey. And Peter Facinelli is just – he's fine. But, um, yeah, I liked it. Peter Facinelli gave me no reason to think that he would ever be a star. Sure. And obviously, he never was a star. I don't but- hate him though. No, there's I don't something, hate him. There's something kind of weirdly interesting about him. His good looks and his young Tom guy. Cruise vibe is didn't do many favors. He's a good-looking guy. Um, but – and it's not that he doesn't hold his own. Yeah. But he just isn't much. That I agree with. Um, 66. Okay. I do like it. Yeah. I'll write what I wrote. I'll read what I wrote. Okay. It's a self-serious trifle like mm. the song at the end. But I don't mind a movie that comes out and tells you exactly what it is and what it's about. It does preclude it from being great mm-hmm. and gives it a veneer of seriousness when it's really too skeptical of its audience to take them seriously, which makes it necessarily unserious. But whatever. It's fine. Yeah, and that's how that I feel. Right. But whatever. It's, it's fine. fine. Yeah. Um, Let's do some Let's do top, some five, top five plays. plays. Uh, I just quickly want to mention something uh, that Kenny and I talked about a little bit before Mike. Um Amadeus, Dangerous Liaisons. Those are two plays that don't feel like plays that um, that I wanted to mention. The other is Angels in America, which is my favorite oh. play adaptation, um, but it's not a movie. But I just kind of wanted to mention these things because uh, I tried to hem closer to things that felt more like a play that was adapted as opposed to, you know, these, these things. All right. I'm going to take Amadeus off my list. Oh, shit. Okay. And then I'm going to put my sixth on the list. Okay. Okay. So what's your number five? Closer. That's higher up on my list. I love that movie. Yeah, that movie is hard to watch. It's so good. <laughs> Feels like a play. But in the yes, but but also like oh, in the best no. possible yes. way. Yes. Um it is it's very, very, very good. The Julia Roberts Clive Owen scene is very, very hard yeah. to watch. Um it's great. It's great. I don't have any. I, I mean, it's beautiful to look at too. I mean, Stephen Goldblatt, who shoots, uh, who shot most of uh, Mike Nichols, the sort of the tail end of his career, beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Engine in America comes out shortly 
after I believe closer. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's tremendous. I, I don't have, I, it's, it's number three on mine. Love that one. Number five. Uh, my number five is tape. The, uh, Richard Linklater, um, Robert Sean Leonard, Uma Thurman movie that oh, came, okay. uh, <laughs> uh, it's a very good movie, which I think you actually would really like Kenny. Uh, I've it's never based seen on, it. It's based on a play, uh, that actually came out in 1999 by, uh, Stephen Belber. Uh, and it's basically the whole thing takes place in a motel room. Ethan Hawke plays this guy. Uh, who used to be very good friends with Sean, uh, Robert Sean Leonard, tells him to come to his motel room. They're hanging out. They haven't hung out in years. And he basically says, I know that you uh, raped my girlfriend. Those are good plays. <laughs> and that is what a play should be. About. It's really, really, really good. Richard Linklater directed it, uh, shot on digital, uh, made for like nothing, looks truly horrendous because mm-hmm. it's digital in, in you know, early 2000s. But highly recommend everybody check it out. That's my number five. Um, my number four is not dissimilar, except it's extremely dissimilar, but it's not a dissimilar kind of setup. Okay. Death and the Maiden. Oh, interesting. Which I love. The Polanski movie. Yes. Which is essentially about Sigourney Weaver and her rapist. Yeah. Like she was, she was tortured and raped. Uh, well, like, but she was blindfolded and she doesn't know who did it. And she thinks this stranger Mm -hmm. who, um, her husband is invited into the house Correct. is that torturer and rapist. So then they take him captive to try to like find out the truth. And it's very hard to find out whether or not she's right throughout the course sure. of the movie. Um, yeah. It's thrilling. So Three characters cool. in a house. Yeah. Yep. Uh, my number four is doubt. I didn't love doubt. Um, I really liked doubt. Um, it's the uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Meryl Streep, Amy Adams came out a handful of years ago. Um, yeah. It's uh, directed by the screenwriter or the playwright. Um, I, I just I, – I, I, Davis had a very yeah. f- kind of famous role. I think she was nominated for that. I think she was. I think she won a Tony for it, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, perhaps. Or maybe that was Fences. doesn't matter. Point is, Viola Davis is very talented. Um, I, I don't know. I dug doubt. Um, again, I'm not generally speaking – You know, it's again, it's a, it's a religious movie. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I, I dug it. It worked I, for me. That was your number four? That was my number four. And I know closer is your number three. Mm-hmm. I wonder which one of my top three didn't make your top three. I don't know. We're going to find out. I though. know which one it was. It was my number one. <laughs> number three, Glengarry Glen Ross definitely made your top three. That's my number one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Might as well be. It's an amazing movie. It's fucking great. Fucking amazing. Uh, it's great. It's, it's great. It's literally an amazing movie. It's an amazing movie. There's nothing really to – I mean, listen, anyone that, that hasn't seen Glengarry Glen Ross, fucking watch it. Yeah. Don't be – you know, it's, it's – If uh, you don't like film plays, this will turn you around. I, I would agree. It's also just we're talking about, uh, you know, these Jack guys Lemon, are these, Pacino, this fucking cast, Spacey, Arkin, Jonathan Price. Yeah, uh, it's just, uh, and then Alec Baldwin coming in and just killing every, killing a, a one scene that just, which was not in the original play. Uh, it's it's tremendous. it's as good as it gets. Yeah. He played Roma, I believe, on Broadway. He Did played he? the Al Pacino role. Ricky Roma, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, my number two. Or wait, what? Go you, ahead. You, what's What's your three? I'm three confused. was on Gary Glenn Ross. Okay. Your three is closer. My two? Your two. Which I think probably made your list too. Mm. A Few Good Men. Yeah, that's my number two. Yeah. So I figured it was my number one, yeah. which didn't make your list. Yeah. A Few Good Men. <laughs> yeah, A Few Good Men's just, it's, it's great. So that's an opened up play. That is that an opened up play. That does not really feel like a play. I don't know if I totally agree with that. I think that the courtroom sequences of that mm-hmm. feel like a play in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. Um, it does get opened up, obviously, 
with them going to Cuba and, you know, doing all the stuff that they do. But, you but know. I even feel like the scenes in, uh, I guess, Tom Cruise's apartment with Captain yes. Pollock and yes. Yes. more, like those don't yeah. feel like a play to me. I they agree. don't feel particularly staged. They actually feel very televisual. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I do. I absolutely love Few Good Men. I don't really understand why people don't. I know most people do. I'm not trying to see people hate it. But yeah. I don't understand why why there's this like idea that it's uh, kind of a like a not particularly serious movie. I think it's a very serious I think it's a very movie. serious movie. I do deal with very serious things. I think there are some people that feel like browbeating a character into yelling out their confession might not necessarily be the most Never seen nuanced <laughs> I believed it from that character. <laughs> I, I don't disagree with you. I'm just yeah. I'm playing devil's advocate as to why some people feel like perhaps they take some issues. I think it's one of the things yeah. that people take issue it's with. Worth it. Uh, there you go. That's, oh, what's your number one that I don't have on my uh, a movie? You probably have never seen because it would be number one. How could it not be? Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Oh yeah, it's great. Have you ever, you've seen it? Yeah, it's the perfect plot. I should watch it again. It's the I perfect, saw it a very long time. It ago. is ex- when I was talking about excavating, excavating characters, yeah, and yeah. character motivation, and getting to the truth of things, mm-hmm. and the 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 meanness in that movie, the honesty, the 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 portrayal of two marriages at two different points, the fucking with each other, it's it's a thrill. <laughs> Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? I should, it's it's Mike Nichols as, again. Yeah, Mike Nichols again. It's as good as it's as good as as. Entertainment gets. Yeah, I, I would argue that it, it's possible that that no one understood adapting plays to the screen better than Mike Nichols yeah. did. Yeah. Um, Though this really does take place in a very yeah. tightly confined place. Yeah. Um, but yet feels cinematic. Like, yeah. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, interestingly, um, does not feel like a filmed play to me. It just feels like a very tight tightly plotted movie and i don't know if that's positive or negative i'm surprised you didn't say frost nixon i thought that might come up for you uh i saw it i thought about it for a second hasn't aged so great in yeah. my head and i haven't watched it in a really long time that's so. a that's a brow beating a guy into confession yeah movie. absolutely yeah um but yeah i mean I, I think the thing that hit me as i was looking at this list of plays to movies is that uh it can absolutely be done and I think that there's this unfortunate notion of like, don't bother. It won't work. Unless you're Mammoth. Unless you're Mammoth or yeah. unless you're Mike Nichols. You know what I mean? Like it, that it's such rarefied air. A lot like of don't, don't bother. bother and, and I think that's a bummer. what? It's true to some extent. Like I saw, what was the Roman Polanski play? Um, Carnage? Yes. Which is to me like, you know, as a Jew from New York who spent a lot of time in the Upper East Side. Sure. I, I understand mm-hmm. this world really well. And I'm really kind of taken with this, with the idea of this like little schoolyard accident turning into a huge fight between the parents. Mm-hmm. Like, I believe that. Totally. Um, and the play was great. It was called God of Carnage. The and then play, they, the and movie they called was it called Carnage. Carnage. Yeah. And the movie was bad and boring. It was, so, it was, it was uh, poorly cast. Uh, it was a weird cast. Oh, All very talented, All talented people, but like those four people don't necessarily make sense together. No, but I was so excited for it. What are you going to do? So uh, next week, um, we're doing Trippin'. Uh, it's a, an actually pretty good movie, even though we put it in the dumps in a weird way. But uh, it's this 
teen comedy, one of I mean, one of many that we've obviously covered this year. But this is one I didn't really know about, and, and certainly Kenny and I didn't really know about it. But it turned actually to be a pretty good movie. It's uh, uh, Donald Faison's in it, and it's just uh, it's. I don't know. It's got 70% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and like 60% from, or 70% from, uh, from audiences. So uh, it's a good movie. You should check it out. It's on stars right now. If you have stars, it's free. If not, you can rent it, but, um, it's a fun movie about a kid who just keeps, uh, hallucinating and, uh, not hallucinating. That's the wrong way to look at it. Uh, he has these trips where he basically sort of imagines himself in, in these sort of, uh, crazy situations but it, it's a fun movie um and uh it was going to be in the dumps but now it's on the main feed so uh next week is tripping podcast like it's just podcast like it's podcast like it's 1999 podcast like it's you want a podcast like it's 1999 Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.